my question is that when the government, if they decide to deport them finally, how will they go about it? Because it's not that I don't think that all of them are concentrated at one place, and forty thousand is, I think, uh, just an official figure, right? Correct. So they are all over the country. So Correct. how will the government go about deporting it, and what are the effective measures? And right. has there been a deportation of this scale, this kind, anywhere right. else in the world? Right. Uh, what, the answer to the first question, I don't know. Okay, I'll tell you why. One, because I don't have the requisite expertise or the qualification to comment on that particular issue. But I'm sure that there are better qualified people who can answer this question. The reason why I'm saying this is merely because I don't have an answer doesn't mean the answer does not exist. And this actually takes you to a different issue, perhaps not a different issue, a connected issue. If they were all concentrated in one place, you could have done something about it. By dragging it all along for all these years, you have allowed them to disperse in various parts of the country, making it difficult for you to track them. Can you keep sending agents to different parts of the country only to detect and see who is a Bangladeshi and who is not? Which is why at least the Rohingya issue gives you an opportunity to catch them right now and to deport them and give them the help they need to go back to their country and make sure they have the resources to, to live a comfortable and perhaps a safe life in their place, whether it's Bangladesh or Myanmar. At least you have 16,000 people in one state. That's not the case with, let's say, five crore Bangladeshis. They are spread across the country. So all I can only say is, it's like perhaps one of those uh, kidnap cases. After 72 hours, there's no way that you can trace the victim. It's really that difficult. So this, for me, is a situation or a, or a scenario where time is of the essence. And the faster they do it, the better it is. I, I, I would also perhaps want to say this. See, sometimes I think uh, in in anticipation of or because of fear of media backlash, there is a chance that they chose not to pursue this issue because they wouldn't want to be seen as persecuting a certain group. And perhaps the government is waiting for a direction from the Supreme Court to act on it to basically say, Bhai, court ne uske baad hum kya kare? we are only following the directions of the court. We are only following the directions of the court. Even if that be the case, I don't have a problem. That's a different issue. But let the issue be addressed in one way or the other. The only problem is, the longer you wait for the Supreme Court to do something about it, I'm, for me, the time is ticking, the clock is ticking. Let me put it to you this way. The uh, judgment of 2005 came after five years of the issue being escalated to the Supreme Court. The second judgment, uh, or rather the third judgment of 2014, it's still not a complete judgment because the unconstitutionality of Section 6A of the Citizenship Act is still in question because it needs to be, it has been referred to a five-judge uh, five uh, five constitution bench. After 17th of December 2014, today I was calculating it, 27 dates have passed. 27 dates from 2014 till 2017. The last date was 31st of July 2017 when the matter was listed. For some reason, the Supreme Court has still not found the time, the resources or the inclination to constitute a five-judge bench to look into this particular issue. Because it, it presents a real issue. In fact, 13 issues have been identified by the Supreme Court as part of the two, uh, 2014 judgment. I think it's 13. Where one of the questions is, don't people have cultural rights to protect if they belong to a particular state? Because for me, India is perhaps a United States of India in one sense, simply because of its diversity of each of its regions. Consequently, each region and each state has a right to protect its unique identity. It's unique ethnic identity. And therefore, one of the issues that has been escalated before the Supreme Court is, are you not allowing infraction of my cultural rights and violation of my cultural rights by allowing the demographics to change so much? So I, I hope it happens. The short answer to your question is, I don't know how they'll do it, but perhaps the faster they do it, the lesser issues, logistical issues they'll face in implementing it. I have a related question. Yes, please. Suppose uh, they have uh, found all these Rohingyas and they want to deport them. Uh, but how that is going to happen? Are they going to push them? Uh, See, for me, deportation would, would it's possible. Agar exile karne ke liye aapke paas ek separate island hai, to wahan kar sakte hai. Lekin aapke paas aisa kuch nahi hai. The only possible way is to talk to Myanmar. Put pressure on that particular country to take back these people. And Bangladesh is not pushing them out. Hopefully, Bangladesh is saying that we are happy to share our food with you. That's basically the statement made by Sheikh Hazina. Consequently, why don't you give her the support she needs to take them back? You can't push people unilaterally because deportation or extradition is a, is a, is a channel with two terminals. 
and both terminals necessarily have to be on the same page for the transaction to happen. And I'm hoping that a country which wants to be at least a regional superpower, you should be in a position to at least convince Myanmar to take back its own people and tell them kindly don't create troubles for us. I'm hoping that's happening and I think that's where perhaps the personal equation between Mr. Modi and the head of that particular state or the representative of that particular state helps. I'm sure that after all, who are we, at least who am I? There must be something that's happening behind the scenes. But hopefully that's happening and hopefully that's happening in the right direction. Because what is the point of all of us going to the Supreme Court asking for deportation if the place is not ready for accepting those people back? So something has to happen at a very different level. This is not something that can be solved only through the medium of courts. How can the court influence foreign diplomacy beyond a point? It can't in fact. It doesn't have a say on that particular issue. So this is for the government to take up. And that means somebody has to necessarily keep putting pressure on the government to say this is an issue that matters to us. Kindly do something about this. The funny part is all these issues were part of the election manifesto of the BJP. And unfortunately all of these things are happening through the medium of courts as opposed to them happening on their own. Before the Rohingya issue uh, occupied the center stage, I'm asking a genuine question and this is not a rhetorical question. I don't know. I want to understand between the judgment of 17th of December 2014 where directions were issued by Justice Ranjan Gogoi and Justice Rohingya Nariman to the BJP government and before the Rohingya issue broke out, how much of what was promised to the Supreme Court, of, to the Supreme Court in terms of actual steps were implemented? Border mein kitna fence hua hai? Kitne tribunals aapne constitute kiye hai? Kitne logo aapne actually deport kiya hai? You will see that there is a data in one of these judgments. Number of enquiries which were initiated under the IMDT in the first judgment were around 3 lakhs. That is only the number of enquiries initiated. By the time it trickles down to the actual number of people deported, 3,000. So the number of enquiries initiated has got no comparison to the number of people actually deported at the end of that particular process. So what does this tell you? One, that could be a problem with the IMDT legislation itself because that was the roadblock. Even otherwise, for an inquiry to translate to an investigation and then to a legal proceeding and then deportation itself is going to take some sweet time. But at least start the process and send the message out that we are not willing to accept these people. Next. Yeah. So first thing is, I just want to appreciate your wisdom and everything. You have done a like extensive analysis with regard to this topic. Thank you. Uh, uh, the second thing is like uh, they have approached the Supreme Court because they have a right. That is under Article 21 of the Indian Constitution. Right. And that right is not absolute. Correct. We know that. Correct. So there, should, there can be a procedure to Correct. which it can be curtailed. Correct. Correct. The procedure should be just fair and reasonable. Correct. So do we have such procedure now? That's right. the first thing. Right. In order to deport them. Right. The second thing is the citizenship act that you are referring to. Right. Clearly defines illegal migrant as someone who is a Hindu Sikh or so and so and so and so and so. Right. But you know better that he should not be a Muslim. So, <laughs> as a passing reference, you have mentioned uh, Trump. You have mentioned some people who are considered to be xenophobic, demagogues, and right. who are who right. indulge in rabble rousing. Right. Don't you think this particular citizenship act of 2016? Right. Implies the same position on Narendra Modi. No, it doesn't. The okay. second thing is, right. can you name one single instance right. where these people, right. that Rohingyas, right. have indulged in some catabolism? I completely understand you mentioned. Fantastic question. In fact, they have. I'll come to that next. Yeah, that, that, that's Please. That yes. I definitely take it. But yes. the point is, right. you have deriving a proposition out of a presumption. No, no, no. In fact, there is a factual basis for it. A Rohingya militant was actually found in Jammu and Kashmir in 2014. There is a basis for it. We have placed there that. is a basis, obviously, and I definitely right. take it. I definitely take it. I right, right. Please. Yes. But the point is, right. are we not creating a sense of animosity among the people by just mentioning that the Rohingyas issues being a Muslims per se, they are threat to our country without an empirical evidence. It is not a process of brilliant. indulging in paranoid notions. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. That's what matters. Right. Two questions. Right. First is uh, pertaining to citizenship uh, act. Right. Thanks right. a lot. Now this is exactly the question I was trying to address throughout the course of my talk. I've made my case. Okay. So if I have to actually answer, that's basically repeating my speech, which is to say, please understand that we are not saying that all these people are terrorists or potential terrorists. I just explained the extrapolation of the principle of prevention 
to issues of national security. Can the same be applied for Hindus? Explain. I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful. Fantastic, fantastic. That's a question for the other country to answer. That's a question for Pakistan to answer if they believe that Hindus are a potential threat and they actually believe that there is a concept called Hindu terrorism. Let no, 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 hold on. You've answered your question. Let me finish this because otherwise this Tatetat will go on. The point is whether Hindus pose a threat to India, then your answer should be kick out Hindus from India. Perhaps that is the aim of the left. No, no. My question is can other people take a call with respect to entry of Hindus to those countries? Of course they can. That's their prerogative. What is good for the goose is equally good for the gander. Consequently, if I say that I have the prerogative to stop the entry of a certain people on a certain basis, as far as India is concerned, of course that's their prerogative. When they do it, if they do it, should they do it, then we'll talk about it. If you're asking me to not use a presumptive basis to actually deport these people, you can't use a hypothetical situation which doesn't even exist as on date to say that my position is wrong. Conjecture can't be a response to speculation. The point is... I am saying that, oh, as far as the basis is concerned, one Rohingya Muslim was found killed as part of an action against terrorists during an encounter. Now, does one equal 40,000? No. They're, that's why we are going with their political affiliations. We are going with their political associations. We are basically saying that as a group, they have made their position clear in terms of where they want to live, whether they want to live in Darul Islam or Darul Harb is something that they have identified. Consequently, can such people coexist? And secondly, I will actually use something very, very interesting. We have always been saying that Indian Islam is different from the rest of, uh, or let's say Islam in the rest of the world. What they practice is not Indian Islam as far as I am concerned. Indian Muslims believe in coexistence with Hindus. Indian Muslims actually believe in living in a secular democracy, notwithstanding the fact that they are outnumbered by Hindus, non-Muslims. They don't have a problem. How can you be so sure that other Muslims are equally okay with this? We don't know. And assuming for a moment that there was not any group which has already expressed its allegiance to Pakistan or they did not have a separatist movement going on on religious basis and if they were being kicked out because of a humanitarian disaster, perhaps you could have considered bringing them on board and giving them some kind of shelter. But the entire controversy starts and ends with religion as far as this particular group is concerned. So how am I supposed to discount that very real factor? It's like some genius basically saying, Pakistan did not kill my father, war killed my father. <laughs> that can't be our approach to these things, right? So as far as my point is concerned, yes, there is a factual basis. Two, I am not basing this entirely on presumption. I am not basing this entirely on paranoia. I am not saying Rohingyas are bad people. I am saying that their worldview may not gel with ours and perhaps it does not because of their stated positions. And considering that they have expressed their allegiance to a country which is not exactly our best friend, we need to be a bit more careful. There I end my case. This is not a question of asking the rest of the world to go and kill them or butcher them. Sorry, I don't subscribe to those kind of violence. Please. Well, when we were reading this morning, there was a, in the camps in Bangladesh, showing that 40% of them are uh, pregnant. May I just add to that point? I don't think uh, we should discount the health possibility, but we shouldn't pussyfoot around this particular issue by pointing fingers at every other issue other than the primary issue and then say because of health, because of resources. These could be complementary factors, secondary considerations and those which could build to the actual edifice. But the central issue is that of national security. The central issue of the demographic threat it poses to certain flashpoints in this country. The central issue of their allegiances and affiliations to anti-Indian elements. I am not willing to run away from this issue at all. This is the bull I am taking it by its horns. Next. Uh -huh. Sir, uh, hypothetically speaking, if uh, government musters the will to deport them with support from the Supreme Court also, and government doesn't choose to pay heed to whatever these so-called secularists and leftists say, right? Uh, but uh, there is no other point, like uh, even neither Myanmar, neither OIC, nor some other countries uh, willing to take them back. How can then we get rid of these people? 
so in then then in which case all we can do is this the worst case scenario would be jitne aa gaye unko rehne dijiye close the border at least or at least ensure that your border effective measures are better see it's like this effectively the way you're putting it is it's a it's a one way nozzle it's a one way valve i don't want it to be a situation or people like me don't want it to be a situation where it's a one way street where there is no seal at all they just keep coming assuming that they are not willing to or the homeland is not willing to take them back surveil these people put them under conditions make sure that they don't say or that they have equal rights for everything under the under the sun because they don't they may have equal rights only under article 21 but they don't have equal rights under article 19 that's what the supreme court says consequently put them under some kind of conditions ensure that they are surveilled do all of that and make sure that you stop the border that's all you can do there's nothing else that you can do but if the government continues to be lax about this particular issue and continues to allow this kind of nonsense to happen and more people come in i don't know what else can you do except for sending them a message in the next election but importantly the worst part is this whichever government comes to power it will have a serious law and order issues let me put it this way and i am drawing from the book of rahul pandit uh, armoonas blood clots where he said that kashmiri pandits when they went to jammu had trouble finding some kind of support or some kind of sympathy from people living in jammu that was their situation is what he has basically said if that is the position with respect to our own people finding sympathy from their own people in in the same in another part of the same state you will have law and order issues there will be an outbreak of law and order issues and i am not saying that this must happen it can i i hope it doesn't happen but can you predict that it won't happen particularly when they have not been able to live with hindus in their country what makes you think that they will be happy living in a hindu majority country i don't think that that's that's realistic i don't think it's realistic at all with all the mass graves with all the rapes that are being reported what do you make of them this is willingly inviting trouble as far as i am concerned and i think all these examples only answer his question next yes please i agree to most of your things yes fear in my mind yes please fear in my mind that if we don't do something quickly to defuse the situation then in the future if this uh, tense situation in along the myanmar border it further precipitates right it further uh, becomes a greater humanitarian crisis right and it is for sure that humanitarian crisis we world over they are not limited by borders right what if this becomes even a bigger problem bigger than what it is it is today and it, it will threaten our security at that point of time if it becomes a bigger problem right i hope it doesn't become only a bigger problem from for india because the rest of the world is busy pontificating to us as to how we are supposed to be treating refugees i would like to see then what the rest of the world does okay ever since this issue is broken out every tom dick and harry and every person thinks that it's okay for him to tell india what it is supposed to do when it comes to treatment of refugees when we have been actually we have a history of settling refugees but we also cannot close our eyes to our historical experience so if it happens if it happens to be a bigger problem then hopefully all that we are actually projecting in terms of real concerns they will stand endorsed they will stand proven but beyond that i just hope it doesn't result in uh creating a fight between countries itself because let's put it this way we don't have a non friendly relationship with myanmar and as on date with the government in bangladesh we don't have a problem at all because i think sheikh hasina's government has always been at least relatively friendlier to india than let's say khalid azia's government okay considering that I hope good sense prevails and all of them realize that if they don't handle this conflict they will have a real issue like the LTTE issue there is a possibility that could happen you never know see the worst problem is there are always elements and institutions and organizations like ISIS who are looking for flashpoints like these so that they can source material so that they can recruit people by not addressing this problem and nipping it at the bud we are giving them ready cannon fodder that's my humble view as far as the issue is concerned you're right i mean it, the issue needs to be addressed immediately next sir uh, are there individuals and organizations in india who not only want this demographic change but who are actually facilitating it on the ground by uh, encouraging this influx and uh, if there are then how do you deal with those people what is your honest answer to your first question i think there must be Uh, must be okay hey and 
I agree with you. So the Azad Maidan riots are a clear example of what happened. Yeah. That was not a riot that was ostensibly for only what happened in Kokrajhar or whatever it is. OAC was clearly batting for Rohingyas. There are people, the rallies that were taken out, the Julus that was taken out in Kolkata, in vast parts of Bangladesh. In fact, if you see, all these three judgments clearly say that West Bengal has been a conduit for these people. And they have found ready access and they have been embraced on their way to Assam. So, there are clear facts which even the court has recognized, the political reality is the court has recognized and therefore yes, there are vested interests in this country. But at the same time, I put my faith in people like General Atta Hasnain, I put my faith in people like Maru Fraza, I put my faith in people like these who have their hearts their ideologies, their consciences and their allegiances in the right place and whose heart beats for India, who want, that's, that's a matter of public, uh, that's a matter of private opinion, I believe that their heart beats for India and hopefully we will have more of such voices ventilating our point of view because anybody who has a different point of view and who comes from a different ideology or a different religious identity is immediately branded a, commun a communal fascist for airing these views which are legitimate. When this problem comes, whether it affects anybody else or not. Considering the relationship between Rohingya Muslims and Hindus in Burma, it certainly will affect similar communities placed in India. This much is for sure. Now, I don't want this to happen, but I just hope it doesn't happen and therefore I want to focus on cautionary principles, preventive principles in the interest of national security. Ma'am, you have a question. Firstly, I just wanted to say um, that what he is saying, what he is saying. Uh, basically, I think that um, since the Rohingyas have left their country or the country that they call their own because of um, what they see that you know they are being uh, persecuted by us, uh, part, you know, Buddhists, Buddhists are part of Hinduism. So why are they coming to India, which is a majorly Hindu country? Right. Um, so it must be by design. I, okay. I mean, I'm pretty sure that it cannot be without yeah. that because if they were, you know, if you are being beaten up by a bully, right. then you won't go to their house, right? Correct. So it has to be by design. Right. And the other thing is that um, whatever you were saying, he was saying earlier, I think that, uh, I think that people are still living in some kind of a delusion in this country. And I, I, I really don't know how they will come out of it. Because if they, after, you know, living through, you know, must you must be like in your 30s, uh, yeah. I mean, right? Yes, I'm 30. Yeah, so I mean, living through 30 years of your life in this country and seeing what Bangladeshis are doing to you, you still have this kind of an argument. And, you know, I don't understand which world people live in, I'm sorry, but I have to say this. The point is, if you subscribe to his view, we will not invite any discussion. No, no, I see. I think he was just trying to play the devil's advocate. He was just playing the devil's advocate. I know him well, and he was just playing the devil's advocate. He was just trying to understand if there is another point of view which can be sustained. And I think the 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 popular sentiment in this room is it can't be sustained. And uh, I think uh, we are not resorting to fear mongering. We are saying things as they exist. Please. Sorry. You mentioned maintaining demographics balance right. in favor of, uh, I'm using the term Indian, Indian, Indian religionists, right. if you like, right. for secularism and the Indian nation state to exist. Right. Is that a stand which we can hold in, in the court? As part of, of today? The, part huh. of the question right. is actually that it is central Islamic theology hmm. to create a Darul Islam. That it is to propagate religion and our sections, articles 25 to 30, permit. At least one section of scholars seem to be saying that. Yes, and they're open. It's, it's commonly available. Um, uh, you know, Darul Islam takes that stand. And is that a stand, you know, that you can argue in? See, uh, in an atmosphere where any investigation into genocide and massacre of Kashmiri Hindus is seen as an issue which is too old for somebody to revisit or reopen or in an atmosphere where Hindus who are literally demographic minorities in some states 
their minority status is not being recognized. I think it would be of uh, too much of a stretch or too much of an expectation for us to hope to make this point of view before the court, much less the court even endorsing it or understanding it or agreeing with it. I don't see that happening at all. And it's sad that we are not willing to accept some of these things despite our historical experience. But I hope that we will learn our lessons, hopefully not in the hard way or the harshest possible way, and relive what we went through for a thousand years. I hope that doesn't happen. Yes. Yeah. So I have uh, an observation and a question. And the observation is just uh, adding a few points to what was discussed by Ajit and uh, Radha. Right. Uh, in Jammu and Kashmir uh, right now, uh, which is facing the brunt of uh, this challenge, right. uh, what has happened is that there is a lot of popular sentiment against uh, the Rohingyas. Uh, but unfortunately, I mean, Dogras, yeah, they're supposed to be a martial, right. you know, very aggressive sort of community. Right. And yet they haven't been able to do anything about it. Right. Uh, and that is only because uh, Jammu, the urban Jammu, has been encircled and demographic inversion has already happened. So it's almost like Naukari. Yes, and so they know that if something happens, you know, then... They'll be outnumbered. Yeah, they'll be outnumbered and they'll be massacred. Right. So that is, that is something that... Uh, that is common knowledge uh, right. among the people who are actually facing the brunt of this okay. uh, issue. Uh, secondly, I mean, my question is that um, ever since uh, ever since we, you know, this media has taken up uh, the issue of Rohingyas and it's been all over the news, uh, we've heard really, really bad arguments from the other side. Okay. You know, it's it's difficult to even imagine how this how this case is even sustained in the Correct. courts. Correct. Uh, could you just summarize? What, according to you, are the best arguments from the other side? Because, I mean, even from your uh, your talk here, it's uh, their best arguments are. Anything. I don't gather anything which is worthwhile or which is worth spending your, uh, your right. thinking over. Right. So the best arguments are, and to build on what he said, and with, I, I think he was genuinely playing just a devil's advocate. How can you prove that all forty thousand are terrorists? That's the factual argument that they try to push. Second. That there are principles of customary international law that apply to us and their, their principle has always been that India has endorsed the principle of non-refoulement in several uh, platforms, in several congregations. How can it choose to not apply that particular principle as far as this particular situation is concerned? That's what they are citing. And uh, from what I remember of Mr. Fali Nariman's arguments in the Supreme Court, he also cited a certain New York convention wherein he says that we are a signatory to that particular convention, notwithstanding the fact that we are not signatories to the uh, convention of 1951 or the protocol of 1967, this convention still makes it obligatory for us to respect these aspects. That's basically his argument. Now, the one thing that you need to know on an international law perspective or even an Indian law perspective is this. No international instrument under Indian law attains the status of law until it becomes a part of a national statute. That is, it translates to some kind of a domestic legislation pursuant to your international obligation. But that is only with respect to an instrument. That is only with respect to a specific document. What if it is customary international law? Because customary law doesn't exist on paper. It is a matter of practice. It's a matter of custom. Can you evade your responsibilities under customary international law is the specific issue that you need to address. And here, I will fall back on facts as opposed to law because I am not evading the responsibility because I am not asking them to be pushed back to Myanmar. I am asking them to be sent back to Bangladesh and I am willing to do everything that is needed to give them the resources. At the same time, I am not wrong in also asking them for them to be sent back to Myanmar. If I can convince the Myanmar government and I can put some kind of a mechanism in place that holds the Myanmar government responsible and answerable for the safety of this particular community. The thing is this, my suspicion is that sometimes somebody decides to play a victim when he realizes that he is losing a battle. Okay? That's the same of what LTT did as well. Okay? My heart is in the right place as far as Sri Lankan Tamils are concerned because I think they have faced immense aggression ever since the 1983 riots. There is no doubting it. But at the same time, they themselves were living in the fear of LTT for a very long time. Okay? So when LTT re realized that the Sri Lankan army was not going to 
let go of this fight anymore and it's it's going to come after them hammer and tongs they decided to play the victim and therefore they decided to activate people across the world living in canada in united kingdom and everywhere else who decided to give the distinct impression that these people were mass murderers rapists or not i'm not denying the fact that it may have happened but there is also a sense of exaggeration that may have happened as far as that is concerned similarly in this case whether these people are truly victims because if you are really looking at facts and you want me to prove that not all of them are terrorists i want you to prove that all of them are victims <laughs> i'd like to see if you are able to prove that all 40000 people are really victims how do you not know that they are actually facing the backlash for what they have done or may have done to buddhists and hindus living in in arakan how do you not know this perhaps they are facing this because this bottled up frustration of constantly being bullied has now resulted in a retaliation from the buddhists of uh, those uh, that particular country and when they decide perhaps to come to india because buddhists may actually retaliate we don't so that's one of the reasons that they find india safer than uh, burma so my my question is for you to apply the principle of non refoulement and say that india has to respect it you need to prove two things that all of them are coming from myanmar because all of them are coming from myanmar then perhaps the principle of non refoulement applies and therefore you can call them a refugee but if you are coming from bangladesh you are actually an illegal immigrant who has come for a better economic opportunity therefore i have every right to kick you out i will use the word kick you out because you are an illegal immigrant now the question is how many of them are illegal immigrants and how many of them are refugees are you able to prove that these are the number of illegal refugees and illegal immigrants you don't know then what what burden are you casting on me if i don't recognize the concept of a refugee as far as my country is concerned except for a standard operating procedure the more concrete position is that of an illegal immigrant under the foreigners act i am entitled to invoke that particular provision so who is on a flimsier legal footing and a factual footing it's you the one who is actually trying to make the case for rohingyas and which is why i keep saying when you take these kind of stupid positions the box in which you pitch yourself gets narrower and narrower your room for maneuver is closing because facts are coming out graves are literally being dug up and metaphorically being dug up, dug up as far as your facts are concerned as far as your position is concerned which is why i think as opposed to allowing yourselves to be pushed in a corner with this sentimental argument are you not creating animosity against a particular community are you not being heartless is your doesn't don't you have a heart don't you bleed patthar ke bane ho kya and all this kind of nonsense by these are the facts i may not have a heart but do you have a brain and eyes <laughs> that's my question what's the i just very slight observation and even if it's a question it might be categorized as rhetorical but why is it that today people especially from my generation i'm just 21 and people from my generation or around my generation or the educated elite of this country why don't we talk about these issues and even if we talk about these issues we're always on the other side because peer pressure political correctness wanting to be part of a group that is seen as hip and the fear of isolation and ostracization wanting to associate yourself with arundhati roy or the group that worships and defies i mean she is such a horrible writer i mean it's it's terrible to read her she has no sense of script she has written one book and that book god knows why why did they even give her the booker or whatever it is it was horrible it was the worst possible book i have ever read and people comparing her with even salman rushdie horrible even worse he is a better writer he is he is in a different league altogether therefore this is peer pressure what passes off as liberalism and what is not liberalism in this country is largely the consequence of packaging peer pressure media influence and the fear of being branded as a fascist as a bigot and being ragged in college campuses which are perhaps let's say uh, reined by uh, the leftist student unions and mind you the leftists have a far higher potency of violence than exactly they do and let me just put it this way they want us to prove that not all of them are terrorists as far as rohingyas are concerned but they will always proceed with the assumption that every member of the abvp is an idiot or is a violent fool who can't articulate or who doesn't have a point of view can't talk can't and that's supposed to be bad can't even talk in english is supposed to be bad right yes please yes please we are all rich elite people and 21 year old you've never gone to search for a job you've never faced somebody who's uh, willing to work for lesser pay than you you've never gone for dihari mazduri and so we do not understand those problems those problems are faced by people who are lower middle class and they have uh, 
बिहारी मजदूर आता है और जगन्नाथपुर से कोई और मजदूर आता है और एक सौ रुपए में काम करेगा दूसरा डेढ़ सौ में करेगा आप उठ के सौ रुपए वाले को दे देते हो यू डू नॉट थिंक वो बांग्लादेशी है सोशल लैडर एंड देर विल सेकेंड let me put this question back to you bluntly one is a question of peer pressure one is a question of all of this how many of these people actually are aware of the facts people who spout this kind of nonsense kitna padhe hain kitna inhone iske bare mein research kiya kitna samajhte hain see let me put it to you this way as a lawyer i can only claim to have some semblance of understanding of the law i can't claim to know everything about even national security geopolitics and everything under the sun but you have to realize that god has blessed the leftists and liberals with the divine ability to comment on everything with such confidence and conviction and expertise you don't know you have no idea they create jurisprudence while they walk they create logic and reason while they walk everybody is actually a descendant of jacques derrida they all are masters of uh, what is the theory of deconstruction okay they're so fantastic at it psychoanalysis without any basis in facts without any basis in history without any basis in law passes off as intellectualism from their side call their bluff if they throw a slur at you calling you bhakt embrace it and say theek hai bhai bhakt tu to bata apna position kya hai baat karte hain chalo our fear in confronting them our fear in taking on their argument by the bull by the horns and telling them come on i'm calling you bluff and i'm going to prove that it's bs they won't do it they will limit themselves to their echo chambers right on the wire right on the scroll, scroll spit and scoot and do all of this i'm so sorry to say bhai how many years have you practiced in the court how much do you know of court proceedings let me put it to you this way even bluntly it's wrong on the part of media or anybody to comment on any legal issue and come out with a sense of finality because it's for the court to do you're not even privy to the evidence you're not even privy to the material that's placed before the court so have some semblance of humility shashi tharur all these people they pontificate humility to mr narendra modi i think they should also take humility with a huge bag of salt when they comment on these issues when they are not aware of facts and when they are not in court actually without knowledge of what is placed before the court nobody has bothered to understand what is the material that we have placed before the court to support our position there's a decent chance the court may disagree with our position but to say that my position is based on bigotry to say that my position is rooted in fascism to say that there is no factual basis at all i'm so sorry to say how did you know were you there when i was drafting the whole damn thing in fact i didn't even draft it that's a different issue but do you know what research has gone into this most of it is shooting from the hip in the hope that more leftists will join the chorus the moment they come out with a statement because they stand by each other they stick by each other they look out for each other they scratch each other's back it's a cable and a click of the first order and that's how they survive and that's how they succeed to add to that it will also be now the education system absolutely absolutely without a doubt without a doubt the education system is certainly there but see my point is education can lead to a certain amount of conditioning but now that you have been exposed to so much of literature which is coming from the other side through other sources in the in this day and age of internet and what not if i place before you a certain additional fact and a certain additional consequence does it make a difference to your conditioning if it doesn't don't blame the conditioning i will blame your adamance your arrogance and your prejudice something that doesn't change when placed with a with a material fact is the textbook definition of prejudice and bias that is fascism according to me i just would like to add on uh, with what saidi kurti said uh, the way they the leftists and the communists they are able to actually draft things in such a manner that the youngsters youngsters are easily able to adopt they are easily able to understand right but what is correct and what is in the national interest or what is correct as per uh, the facts that is not put up amongst the youngsters like people like j sai deepak and other uh, you know the intellectuals they should be uh, 
sent to such colleges and they should be uh, you know they should be advocating the facts on the matter of rohingya muslims or other issues which are uh, you know currently coming up so that the people at large the youngsters at large they should come on to know the what are the facts those facts they are not able to understand only and they don't have the guts to read or to you know actually understand the facts on their own part at one point if they are not able to understand on their own part then at least some people should be sent or be it's uh, the responsibility of the other side that we should make them understand what the facts are most of these youngsters will be so elated and they will think it think of it as a matter of pride to sit on a bench in one of these ndtv shows to just sit and watch it and say bhai main ndtv ke show mein ja ke aaya hu he was not participating in it there is a decent chance he was not even part of any of the screen grab and for him it's a matter of pride because that is pride by association that is the power of peer pressure and peer acceptance if you do not form part of my club i will brand you a fundamentalist but the moment you become part of my club the heavens have been open to you and all their virgins are yours I think I go to uh, universities and colleges. I'm afraid nobody is going to really interested in entertaining. That's what I faced in IIT Madras. <laughs> yeah, because I I tried once and uh, didn't get interested. Actually, we need to find out the you know one or two numbers or the number in tens or twenties. That's what the number matters. So, भले वो ten हो या twenty हो, that doesn't matter. लेकिन अगर वो ten और twenty भी हमें मिलता है, तो that's also our power. We need to make it. Yeah. Turn it into action, right? I mean, you could actually form Indian clubs. So, I, I draw the analogy with an open source movement. How many? I don't know how many of you are familiar, but there is this old world of Microsoft and all that. And for about twenty years, there has been a very strong open source movement in all technology colleges. Okay, and there are only in every batch there are only five or seven, ten percent of people who are familiar and are hardcore open source guys. That's all you want. Right. You don't need exactly. the world around. I mean, and Microsoft now uses and endorses open source software. Right. You don't need that around. You just got to be action oriented. Like Sridharan Goel used to write in his books. Uh, sorry, Kendra Dell writes in his uh, who is a Hindu. He writes so beautifully and ashamed and ashamed when reading that. He says that yeah, he does not find Hindus to be activists at all. Right. It's Correct. just that we seem and seem to be sitting in front of a fire altar and puts. Exactly. Say, Somehow exactly. our problems are going to be possible. See, numbers matter, but somebody has to make the beginning, and perhaps we are at a stage where we will be looked back and said, okay, take care. When they were outnumbered, they started doing this, and we, I can't even take credit for this because when Mr. Sitaram Goel was writing. or ram swarup is writing when all these people were writing they were severely outnumbered what we are going through is nothing compared to what they went through we have a twitter we have a facebook we have so many options to ventilate your point of view for looking from their standpoint this is a huge leap for them this is the vision of the ideal future to some extent so going back to their point of view imagine being in their shoes where their own people hounded them for making their points of view forget the other side Sitaram Goel was hounded by people of our viewpoint, the Indic viewpoint, for all practical purposes, because he was too blunt for their own comfort. So, from that standpoint, this is the next stage. This is perhaps the 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 midway between the alpha and the beta. Before the beta comes, we'll have to go through this turn for some more time. Take it from me in writing, things are going to get worse. But for me, that's good because when things get worse, the shallowness and the depth of everyone's positions will expose itself. दूध का दूध और पानी का पानी तो होना ही होना है इट्स ओनली मैटर ऑफ टाइम सो आई थिंक वी शुड स्टॉप एंड एंड आई आई हर्ड दिस फ्रॉम अ जूश प्रोफेसर फ्रॉम जॉर्ज वॉशिंगटन यूनिवर्सिटी हु यूज टू हिज नेम इज मार्टिन एडलमैन एंड वॉट ही सेड इन जनरल अबाउट इंडियंस एटीट्यूड टू रिसर्च अप्लाइज टू अस इवन एज फार एज दिस इज कंसर्न वी हैव फेंटेस्टिक ब्रेन्स बट पुअर स्पाइंस वेरी पुअर स्पाइंस रीढ़ की हड्डी जो है रबर की बनी है इट्स सो डैम फ्लेक्सिबल वी कॉल इट अडेप्टेबल बट वी डोंट रियलाइज यू कैन बी अडेप्टेबल एंड यू शुड बी अडेप्टेबल बियॉन्ड अ पॉइंट ऑन सर्टन इश्यूज विच आर नॉन नेगोशियबल एंड वी आर सो स्केर्ड ऑफ रिटेलिएशन वी आर सो स्केर्ड ऑफ फेलियर्स लेट्स अज्यूम फॉर अ मोमेंट दैट समबडीज वेंचर ऑन दिस फ्रंट बिकम्स अ फेलियर सो वॉट एट सम स्टेज इट विल सक्सीड सम जनरेशन विल सक्सीड 
how can we hope to succeed at the word go and this is where i think we have so much to learn from israeli experience embrace failure and then it will become a matter of habit and then you will not care whether you fail or succeed what you learn from the particular experience is what that matters that's what matters i am not looking for numbers there is this character in uh, game of thrones bran he says give me 15 hardy men and i'll impregnate the fort he uses a, a foul language but i'm not going to use that word but he says just give give me 15 men i don't need an army i will prove that there is no fort which is impregnable that's all you're looking at vivekananda was one man ramakrishna was one man these are all people it's surprising that we are we believe in defying such personalities and we are still looking for numbers it's an ideology or a value system that looks up to role models the yug purush or the purushottam the maryada purushottam and all that and we are still looking for safety in numbers ask anyone who is on the indic side if in his college life and in his years of adolescence he has not faced ostracization for his political views all of us have gone through it i have gone through it and i still go through it in the bar i still go through it in several places but you know what if you are good at what you do and you know what you are talking about whether they like it or not they will at least fear your point of view isko muh kholne diya to wo kuch karke jayega and he'll really real, and then they'll try to gag you no problem you can't gag me in this day and age you don't give me one forum so what i'll start a youtube channel what will you do what will you do you'll pull it down no problem you are i'll prove who is actually the supporter of free speech i don't have a problem if i've pushed you to imposing a gag on me it actually shows that you fear my existence they don't have a problem with a lathi wielding bhakt because that lathi wielding bhakt proves their stereotype of us their fear is an articulate informed confident person and if it happens to be a confident articulate indic minded woman in a sari they'll run <laughs> they will run if shefali vaidya takes the stand if somebody like her does it i challenge the best of the left to present themselves for a debate not possible destroy their stereotypes that people wearing kurta pajama will always be a jhola chap or people wearing a sari cannot speak english or cannot meet your argument for argument in the same language at the same level which is not even a level to meet <laughs> thank you इमिग्रेंट्स and even otherwise whether they should be treated as refugees or not is a question of executive policy which is for the government to decide whether you can grant them with that particular status or not how can the supreme court preside over this issue is one of the primary questions in the sense before the supreme court can decide what is wrong and what is right the primary issue and the objection before the supreme court is can the supreme court even look into this particular issue and so far that issue has not yet been addressed arguments are underway whenever it happens we'll see what happens I mean, my honor. So, can you give me an opportunity? I'll leave it to the moderator. Do we still have time? He wants to make a point. Okay. Sure. First thing is, uh, thanks a lot for ostracizing me today. I am not ostracizing. <laughs> right. Someone has raised some kind. He's of a very good friend from Hyderabad, by the way. He's a qualified lawyer who is now practicing in the Supreme Court. He was a civil services aspirant. I think he is still a civil services aspirant. Someone who's very informed, actually. Yeah, the point is, it's very staggering if someone asks my age. I have no problem revealing that. <laughs> But the point is, today you have asked my age. Let's tomorrow ask my community. Day after tomorrow, ask my religion. But the point is, no issues. I have. You have. You may ask. Right. It's my right. prerogative whether to reveal it or not. Right. I have no objection. I will reveal. Right. But the point is, right. Let's accept and have some humility. to understand the other point of view no 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 see let me put it to this way see i don't think 
for hearing and putting up with the other side's point of view. And but I'll make another point. No, 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 no. I'll just make one more point. I'll just make one more point. There was a time when in India, even in urban India and in rural India, asking somebody where they come from and what community they hail from was never a problem, and it would never create an issue at all. It would never create an issue at all. It would not be seen as a sign of segregation. It would not be seen as an indulgence in superiority and inferiority. It would just be a matter of fact. That's it. It would just be a simple question. Beyond that, it would mean nothing. Attitudes will not change because of revealing that particular information. Somebody's relationship with you will not change. It has become an issue over the years because of all this nonsense of political correctness that is being foisted upon us. Wherein standard questions which are part of our cultural idiom have now become racist, sexist, fascist, communal questions. So, for me, honestly speaking, what India stands for, what its values are, have been changed for the worst. Thanks to this kind of imported nonsense. There are so many good things from the West. Learn that. There are so many good things from the West in, in, from the West in terms of openness to innovation, openness to new ideas. But then that's always been us. This is not something that we have to learn from the West. This has been us. Which is why you have a diversity of cultures as far as India is concerned. Which is why you have so many cultures. I can't think of a single country with such a huge population crammed into a country which is one third the size of United States of America. And with so many cultures and languages. If this is not a testament to our innate openness to diversity, what is? And yet this country is being vilified, its innate culture is being vilified for fascism, this and that and whatnot. I have a question to ask. You still have the concept of a Janjati today. And apparently Aryans came 5000 years ago. For 5000 years they have coexisted. And you still have a Janjati who doesn't necessarily subscribe to the Vedic way of life. And you're blaming the Aryan, so-called Aryan invasion theory of killing this particular way of life. Ask yourself this question, how many Janjatis in Australia are alive? How many Janjatis in America are alive? How many Janjatis in Arabia are alive? Therefore, therefore, the point is, let not somebody think that they can preach openness and humility to this society. We have always been humble. We have always been open. We will remain open. We will certainly not remain open to intolerant ideologies.